0: I'd like to welcome everyone uh, to the celebration of the completion of the Carl Icahn Laboratory that will house the Lewis Sigler Institute. Uh, it's, uh, as you can imagine for myself, who was involved in the genesis of this project, this is an extremely exciting day for me. I would like to especially welcome and thank the speakers who, are, uh, who have come uh, from both near and far to help us celebrate this wonderful day by telling us about the extraordinary science that they have done in the past that have set the stage for the post era, and who are all working uh, on the future of biology and will give us a glimpse of the excitement that all of us believed was going to be there uh, when the Lewis Sigler Institute opened uh, in 2003. I would like to just for a moment tell you a little bit about the past of how the Lewis Sigler Institute came into being. It really began approximately four years ago as an idea of a very diverse group of faculty members at Princeton. Uh, Dan Kahn and George McClendon in the Department of Chemistry, Kirk Callan from the Department of Physics, Tom Shank and myself, and Stan Leibler from the Department of Molecular Biology. And Harold Shapiro, the president of the university at that time, gave us a hunting license to think about what the future of biology was going to be like in the 21st century and a challenge to make Princeton at the forefront of that future. Together we spent a great deal of time thinking about how Princeton could make a contribution to what we all believed was going to be an extraordinary future for life sciences in the world. And out of that came the conviction that the Lewis-Sickler Institute needs to, to position itself at the traditional core of Princeton's strengths in the science, which was fundamental discovery. If one looks at the past hundred years of science at this university, where one sees our most important contributions have been in uncovering the fundamental properties of the natural world. And so we began with the premise that the Lewis Sigler Institute was going to, at its heart, uh, continue that tradition and build on it. Uh, As we thought forward to what the world was going to be like when we knew all of the building blocks of many organisms, as we do now and we will know even more in the years to come, We believe that the fundamental challenge was going to be in moving biology from a science in which reductionism had been the most powerful tool to understand how organisms' work, to a time when it was going to be possible to consider the properties of organisms in an integrated way, using all of the building blocks, thinking about them all at the same time. And of course, as we thought about that challenge, it became very clear to us that biologists of the 20th century were not particularly well prepared to think about how to go about inventing that kind of science. And it was for this reason that we began our discussions and ultimately our wonderful partnership with our colleagues in many of the other science departments at the university, computer science, physics, chemistry, engineering, uh, applied mathematics, and it is in fact the combination of these sciences, which will be together in the Lewis Sigler Institute, that will in fact, I think, create the seedbed uh, for an extraordinarily exciting future for those of us at Princeton moving forward in the life sciences. I am uh, very pleased uh, today to have uh, the uh, assignment to introduce the new director of the Lewis Sigler Institute, because in order to carry out such an exciting charge, we are in fact going to need uh, an extraordinary leader. And I am very happy uh, that we have found such a leader. Uh, David Botstein is one of the world's most preeminent geneticists and has been so for the last 30 years. He began his career at MIT where he studied the properties of very simple organisms, bacteria, bacteriophage. But in fact, his career has spanned practically every imaginable uh, organism uh, on the planet. Um, he. Uh, Uh, at some point, uh, uh, became interested in yeast and was really one of the pioneers to use the tools of genetics to understand the cellular architecture of an organism, its cytoskeleton. He also, I think in what many believe is his most lasting contribution uh, in 1980, uh, had an insight together with several colleagues that diversity, that polymorphism in the human genome could be used as an extremely powerful tool in order to map uh, the human genome. And the truth is this was the beginning of the modern era of human genetics, uh, the discovery of what are called RFLPs or restriction fragment-like polymorphisms. And in fact, it was the forerunner of the ideas that led to the strategy for sequencing the human genome. Uh, he left MIT to go to uh, Genentech for two years and then moved to uh, become chair of the Department of Genetics at Stanford University, where he continued his work on yeast and, in fact, was one of the leaders that uh, led uh, the sequencing of the Saccharomyces cerevisiae genome. In another contribution that I think um, has had uh, far-flung effects quite outside the yeast community, it was David, I think, who appreciated the importance, once one had genome sequences, of having a highly integrated database that would combine all of the information available about a single organism. And his development and his shepherding of the yeast database, SGD, at Stanford, has served as a model for other organisms as they have moved forward into their post-genome era. Finally, David continues his work in yeast and has uh, more recently uh, paired up with Pat Brown at Stanford in order to begin to think about uh, the differences between cancer cells and normal cells, uh, with the goal, of course, of beginning to understand cancer at its most fundamental and genetic level. So this is man is a towering figure in the field of modern molecular biology. But that's not why I hired him. The reason I hired him, quite apart from the fact that he is a dear friend, uh, is that David is passionately interested in education. Uh, Beginning uh, with his work at MIT, where he developed innovative ways of teaching biology to MIT students. He has always uh, had at the center of his interests uh, the problem of how to teach biology. And there is no better place that David could have come to find a home where biology education is taken very seriously than at Princeton University. So uh, we got a twofer when we hired uh, David. And David, it's simply a, a joy to be able to, for the first time, be able to introduce you at Princeton. I know this will not be the last. And to welcome you to Princeton. Thank
1: you. Well, welcome to the Institute. I arrived here yesterday. I don't really start for another four months. Uh, and, uh, I want especially to thank the speakers for, uh, accepting our invitation and looking forward to, uh, all the cool stuff that we're gonna hear. Um, and, uh, also, uh, I think, a particular, uh, thanks and, um, uh, need to be uh, given to Jim Broach, who has actually done all the work so far uh, about the Institute, uh, including uh, over, uh, overseeing the building of the, uh, the fantastic sort of architectural monument uh, across the street, which I hope you'll all uh, have a look at, which is now actually open to look at. I think the speakers have lunch there with some students. Very important. And Susan Powell and Faith Bahadurian, who did that as well as organize the symposium. And, of course, you know, it's impossible to say anything after an introduction like that that uh, that makes any sense. Um, uh, but I'm going to try anyway to um, say just a few words of where I think um, we should take this uh, Fantastic facility and the resources that Princeton has amassed uh, to uh, go forward into the 21st century with biology, and uh, as Shirley uh, very uh, clearly pointed out to you, uh, there is a consensus, at least between the two of us, uh, uh, which (laughs) (laughs) that uh, there uh, is. an opportunity uh, that's unique uh, to this environment uh, to look once again at the question of what should we be teaching and what is the science of the future. Now, I'm not very good at the science of the future. I'm pretty good at what you need to know in order to understand anything right at this moment, which is, you know, where the future begins. And uh, what's happened, uh, I, I made this joke uh, last night, went pretty well, I'll do it again. Uh, what's, <laughs> happened, what's happened is really that the molecular biology community has been saying that there's a revolution uh, going on about every three years. It's sort of like the little boy who cries wolf. So you've all heard how great it's going to be in molecular biology uh, for most of my uh, functional lifetime. The trouble with this is that it's now true. Uh, This time, uh, it really is true that uh, going forward is different from the past. And I analogize this in my own mind with uh, what happened to me and at least a few of the people in the room, uh, the speakers uh, in particular, especially, uh, for example, Lee, uh, who I met uh, when we were both students, um, The uh, at that time, the reigning paradigm for biology was botany and zoology and physiology and, you know, the very basic facts of genetics uh, and, and, and you know, metabolism. And it was a huge amount of information, uh, and uh, we were told to ignore all of that because the future was going to be in molecular biology in the sense of Linus Pauling, that is, you know, uh, Sickle cell anemia is a molecular disease. That was 1949. We were students in the late 50s and early 60s, and uh, they basically told us to ignore everything and learn about uh, the physical chemistry, physics, principles, not facts, uh, and uh, then we would be prepared to learn uh, the the stuff that came uh, thereafter. And our mentors uh, who were uh, actual researchers, they're organically connected uh, uh, to the research. There was no such thing as the profession of research biologist uh, at that time. Uh, a professor was somebody who uh, did research and taught and, in fact, even undergraduates, maybe especially undergraduates, uh, actually got into the lab and did things. Uh, and it was a new day, and it was a new set of students, New ideas, new field, new culture. Uh, I'm here to tell you that I'm no longer 20 years old, um, and all of you are, are no longer what you were then, if you were then. <laughs> and the field is no longer what it was then. And the field, I'm afraid to say, has become molecular biology, that is, full of facts, huge numbers of facts that people are set to memorize. Uh, and they're still told to memorize the facts of organic chemistry, which we were told we could safely ignore. But we still tell the students to learn all this stuff. And uh, uh, the, the reality is that uh, with the genome revolution, with the parts list in hand, uh, I think it's time to start uh, preparing students uh, for a new day. Uh, and uh, with a much more attention to the big picture and with maybe less... Uh, um, um, obsessive, uh, 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 concentration on the details, especially the older details. So what uh, I hope are uh, the, the Princeton, uh, and the Lewis Sigler Institute I take as a mandate to be in the leadership role, uh, not just within its walls, but to within Princeton make it possible for students to learn the most fundamental ideas in a context in which it will prepare them to uh, work and think at the, mo- the frontiers of the big picture issues uh, for, of biology are uh, starting with knowledge of the parts. Uh, just as Shirley said, the, uh, the um, issues uh, about uh, The individual molecules are no longer uh, the frontline issues. It's very well worked out how you deal with those kinds of questions. The question is how do all the parts fit together, how they interact with each other, why do these machines not break? Uh, when uh, bad things happen to them or there's a mutation and that, those kinds of questions those are the questions that are in the forefront and in order to do that you need to have a kind of thought and an amount of quantitative thinking uh, for example uh, that just isn't part of the curriculum now and if we're going to make that part of the curriculum something else has to go otherwise everyone it's going to be like the medical community where nobody has an independent thought till they're 40 Okay, uh, th- This is not the way it works uh, uh, in, in, in the real world. This is not how physics became what it is. It's not how uh, biology for the, or molecular biology uh, uh, came how it is. Uh, uh, the uh, head of the NIH uh, gave a speech, uh, and in fact it was reprinted in Science, someone reminded me, uh, in which he uh, brought forth the statistic that first-time grantees uh, with their own grant uh, who, uh, uh, if you ask the fraction of such people who are under 40 years old, that number is 4%. 04.04. 04. Very clear. I didn't mistake this. Now, All the speakers here, if you ask them what they were doing when they were 40, they were way past their first grant. Otherwise, you know, it it would be impossible. It's not possible to get started at, at that point. So we're doing something deeply wrong in the community as a whole. And I think there is no better place to start than in a place where the president of the university understands this and, in fact, was going to do it herself. And so uh, uh, here I am. And um, uh, what's going to happen uh, this this morning uh, is um, that um, a great variety of uh, 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 people, uh, my, my friends, actually, uh, th- th- that was the... T- reason for bringing people here um who uh, who have some peace of uh, the kind of work that is going to have to happen in order for this kind of integrative idea uh to become a reality uh, are going to tell you what they think about this what they're doing uh i think uh i think they all understand me well enough and the, and the goal here that uh, we're going to uh, see more big picture than detail uh so uh and uh we're going to try to be um a general and interdisciplinary and uh uh, in, in a way that makes sense, uh, not uh, just, you know, to, uh, to have a bunch of diplomas. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, I did that. I yeah, did the other thing, uh, which is – become the standard, but instead to tell you uh, what's, what's going to happen in the future, and uh, together, I think over the next few years here at Princeton, we hope to work out a way to do for the students uh, what was done for us uh, those many years ago, and uh, continue in the tradition, or maybe resume the tradition of uh, a really organic, essential connection between uh, teaching and research, and discovery of the new ideas, as well as the new factoids and so with that let me turn to the first speaker um, uh, who uh, is uh, Lee Hartwell and uh, Lee of course Uh, is well known to the biologists at least um, because uh, he was the first uh, to think seriously about how uh, the cell cycle might work in a uh, from a genetic point of view he did that with the East Saccharomyces cerevisiae Uh, he did many services for uh, uh, this particular organism uh, not the least of which is he uh, encouraged a very large immigration uh, of uh, people who had been trained in other things like phage into the field. Uh, I think I'm by no means the only one who read his early papers on, on making mutations in yeast that uh, actually had interesting phenotypes that looked like they were going to bring you forward into understanding what was really going on and saying, boy, that's a really good thing to do, and so we did it, and it was a great open field, and uh, it it has served everybody uh, really well. Uh, Lee has gotten endless honors for this, all of them highly deserved, including a Nobel Prize, and he is going to tell us about something that he did not write down in his abstract, Um, so I'm going to let him uh, tell you what it is.